All right. So we're in the second installment of the series, Relational Vampires. Last week, we talked about needy people, people that just get on your nerves just a little bit because they want just a little bit more than you can give. But last week, we talked about how God wants us to love them well, even in the midst of that neediness, right? This week, we're going to talk about controlling people. So this time of year, we're having this season because we're going into that, uh, that part of the year where we'll be attending parties. We'll be working with people, serving. We'll be eating with and spending time with some of these people that we consider controlling relational vampires. We'll be visiting with friends and family who we might see once or twice a year. We'll be having large corporate gatherings, different PTA Christmas functions, we might even be tempted to push the line a little bit with some of these people. These relational vampires are people that might try and control us. But as Pastor Brandon said last week, these are considered extra grace required individuals. What's our mission here at New Post Church? No A team members, no LBA members. What's our mission here at New Post Church? Love God, love people, make a difference. Why don't we say that together? Love God, love people, and make a difference. Why don't we pray real quick? God, thank you. Thank you for the example that your son gave when he came and, and spoke the greatest commandments to love you, to love people. The greatest commandments, God. Help us to make a difference through that vision and mission here at New Post Church that you have given to us this morning. Amen. <laughs> and that's mine. <laughs> so some of you might be thinking about some of those difficult interactions that are coming up, the Christmas parties I brought up and the family visits. One comes to mind for myself. And it's okay to have pause when deciding to interact with others that we've had bad interactions with in the past. And that's mine too. <laughs> you know, family members, coworkers, classmates, friends, they, they might have burned bridges in the past, but we might be interacting with them at a function in the near future. Family can be the best part of our lives or the worst part of our lives. You know, we've all experienced people who have tried to control and manipulate things and bring us into compromising situations. Loving these people, no matter our past experiences, is how we can move down the path for progress in reaching our communities. We can't say it here and not follow the example outside these walls. With Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's coming up, how many of you are ready for the family that are coming in or the friends that you're meeting? I'm not talking about preparations. I'm not talking about plans for logistics. I'm talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual preparations for those visits. Even in these months, when people can be difficult, when times can be difficult, when it's not easy, our mission is to love God, love people, and make a difference. Some of you might say, well, loving God isn't hard. Loving people. I don't want to do that. Why do I got to do that? 
Sometimes loving people that are these relational vampires is truly the hardest part of our Christian walk. So how do we deal with difficult and controlling people? We treat them with kindness. First, we make sure that if people are mad at us, it's because of our position, not our disposition. An, ang- an arrogant or holier-than-thou attitude is asking for that defense, that rebuff, that persecution. How do we react when people are mad at us? The natural response is to just dish it out. We can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen, right? You be rude to me, I'm going to be rude to you. We clap back. God tells us to do the opposite. We're to bless those who persecute us. The word bless actually comes from the Greek word for eulogy, which means to say good things about someone. You know, the Civil War General Robert E. Lee once was asked his opinion of an opposing general who was thought to be his sworn enemy. He gave a glowing representation of the man, pointing out many truly great qualities that he possessed. An aide took him aside and said, don't you remember what he said about you? Lee replied, but they didn't ask his opinion of me, rather mine of him. When the person who has mistreated you finds out that you speak well of them, that does more to impact them for Christ than any tract, passing comment, conversation, anything that you could have an interaction with them. If you're a Jesus follower, you're called to something completely different. If you call yourself a Christian or claim the salvation that Jesus offers you, you have to behave the way that he commands us. So what does he say? How does he command us to interact with the world around us? Well, the Old Testament says in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 19, to show no pity, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Jesus challenges that. He challenges what the Pharisees of the day stood for by holding to the letter of the law. In Matthew 5, 38, Jesus actually says, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give him your other cheek also. God doesn't want us to do that, does he? He doesn't want us to just, he said it. It's there. He said it. And and I think he says it multiple times. He talks about loving others more than ourselves multiple times. Loving people doesn't mean we have to give in to the manipulating and controlling people. It doesn't mean we have to push away the guiding word of the Spirit in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't establish boundaries with those interactions. It does mean we love them. You know, the story of Samson and Delilah can remind us how dangerous it can be if we choose to get too close or if we allow manipulative people full control in our lives. Samson was a man, a judge, that worked in the nation of Israel while it was fighting for what is today the land of Palestine, the land of Israel. Before they were actually a full country with a king and a a government and a system. You had elders and you had prophets, but judges didn't have absolute power. A better word for the judge would be maybe a deliverer. Someone who was called to deliver the nation through even a military foe. There's an image I'd like to put up on the screen. 
You see that? It says the book of Judges, Israel's repeated cycle in the book of Judges. Israel serves God and experiences peace. Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel experiences war and slavery. Israel cries out to God, turns and repents to God, and God raises up a judge to deliver Israel. And then back, life too, they experience peace. Do you notice a pattern maybe in your own life too? Sometimes we can get stuck in this cycle. That's why the book of Judges was written. Sometimes we can get stuck in this cycle. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. It just continues on and on and on. There were several judges, Deborah, Gideon, Ehud. They all had this cycle over 350 years. And Samson was the final judge in that cycle. You know, the Israelites would see prosperity. They'd forget about the God of their ancestors. They'd intermingle with the people around them and allow the gods of the other people around them to influence their faith. Then an oppressor would come in and rule them and their land. They would beg God for freedom and deliverance. God would raise up a judge. Samson was that last judge. Samson ruled for 20 years of that 350. Now the story of Samson and Delilah comes at the very end of Samson's reign. Samson was very, very strong. In fact, he defeated thousands of Philistines by himself. He was literally a problem for the Philistines. <laughs> Honestly, our special forces all put together, they couldn't hold a candle to Samson. He was elite. He didn't even need a weapon. At one point, he actually took a donkey's jawbone and eliminated over a thousand enemy troops. He gained his super strength from a Nazarite vow that he took before God that required him to never cut his hair, never drink wine, and never touch dead bodies. But Samson was selfish. He was not one that you would think would lead a country. He was not one that you would think would be an upstanding individual. He didn't honor his responsibility to Israel. Samson was selfish. He didn't honor his responsibility to Israel, which led him to be deceived. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Judges 16. Maybe you have the app. Wi-Fi password is new post. <laughs> Judges 16. We'll start in verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Let's pause right there. Delilah was bought off by the Philistines. Samson loved Delilah. Delilah was bought off by the archenemy of Samson. I wouldn't want to deal with that. <laughs> Even though he loved her, Delilah still gave in. According to Scripture, 10 shekels was what the average person made for a year's salary. There were five leaders in the Philistine nation. So Delilah was offered 5,500 shekels when the average person would receive 10 shekels in a year. It would take 550 years for her to get that amount. No one was living 550 years anymore at this point. <laughs> 
She was offered the world to capture Samson. The very people he was called to deliver Israel from laid a trap. Let's continue reading in uh, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Samson's playing it cool. He doesn't want to let her in on the secret because it's been a very useful thing. It's gotten him a lot of stuff. He's probably a wealthy individual. He's probably got a lot of people that look up to him. He's probably got a lot of accolades and things. It's also the way that God gave him to deliver Israel. There's that nagging thing in the back of his mind like, I probably shouldn't give this up. This continues two more times with with him lying to her about where his abilities come from. Let's jump down to verse 15 in chapter 16. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you if you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. You ever feel sick to death of something? Sometimes. I am so frustrated that I got to remember that other people don't sit inside here. (laughs) You know? Other people don't understand what I'm going through in particular. Sometimes I got to look around and see what other people might be trying to do. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. She manipulated his emotions to get what she wanted. She wanted that money. Scripture says that he loved her, but Scripture doesn't ever say that she reciprocated that love. She made it look like she was in love with him. She acted like it to keep up his confidence. At the same time, Samson was sick to death of it. Samson gave up. She tried three times to take his strength. Three times. He had three warnings, guys. Samson had three warnings that his strength was going to be taken from him. He didn't recognize it. He was so sick of it that he just blew past the point of placing any boundaries in his life with destructive and controlling controlling people that he didn't even recognize the strength that was being sought by his enemy. Let's go to verse 17. So he told her everything. Remember, God had said, don't cut your hair. I'll be with you but don't cut your hair. So Samson says, no razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. Just gave up the secret. I'd become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, he was defeated. She saw that he was defeated. She saw that he had given up. She went and sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off seven braids of his hair. Remember, the guy hadn't cut his hair since birth. And we're assuming that he's at least in his late 30s, early 40s at this point. Seven braids of hair. Can you imagine 40 years of not cutting your hair? 
Sarah would have been braided. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of hair so, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Samson's eyes were gouged out after this, and he served as a slave for the very people he was meant to deliver his people from. Samson was manipulated, and it cost him everything. He allowed his feelings and emotions to get the best of him because someone on the other end didn't have his best at heart. One commentator said, Samson was in obvious sin at this point. It's clear, it's a clear example of how a man so used by God can sin and sin blatantly. He kept the external features of his Nazarite vow zealously. His hair had never been cut. While at the same time, he was sinning blatantly sin with someone he shouldn't have been around. Samson did what we nearly all do when we're deceived by sin. He put his life into categories. He figured there are some categories that God cares about and some categories, categories that God does not care about. Understanding that Jesus has claim over our entire lives is a radical change of perspective. Believe it or not, those close to you can manipulate you. If you're not careful, it can cost something dear. In Samson's case, it was his eyesight, his strength, and the call from God. It was gone in an instant. He was caught in an untenable situation. Samson allowed himself to get into a situation where his strength and his calling were both in jeopardy. He allowed his calling to defend the people of Israel to fall by the wayside. Delilah was in it for the money. As I mentioned earlier, she was in it for 5,500 shekels. In today's money, that's $104,000. The average person at the time made $190 a year in today's money. $104,000 when you're usually making $190. That means the world. We deal with people like this all the time. They have very common tactics. Manipulative, controlling, destructive people They'll throw flattering your way. Are you losing weight? They'll try and get you to knock down your barrier. Oh, you sounded wonderful. What a great presentation. They'll give you threats. They'll say, do it. You'll regret it. Don't do it. You won't get anything from me. They'll guilt you. After all I've done for you, I thought we were close. I thought you were a Christian. If you hear terms like that, Beware, people might be manipulating you. So how do you know if you're being manipulated? You start to feel guilty and find it hard to say no. You start to compromise your values. Watch for that one. Samson didn't. You start to compromise your values. You find that strings are attached. The people start to call in favors. You find yourself questioning your instincts and second-guessing the nature of Christ that lives inside you. Don't do that. Don't second-guess the Spirit of God that is moving through you. In our huddle this morning, we talked about how Christ is the anchor and how peace can be present and prevalent in our lives. All we have to do is cast 
those anxieties on him. If we start to feel like we're second-guessing ourselves and someone's trying to control, anchor yourself in his truth. Anchor yourself in the fact that he isn't going to lead you astray. Anchor yourself in the fact that his spirit will not lie to you. How do we handle this? We learn from Samson's mistake. We might not be in the same situation that Samson's in, where we have a dire physical consequence, but we might have other immediate consequences for, control, for following the controlling people in our lives. And there might be consequences for other people around us. For Samson, it was the Israelite nation. They lost their defender. They lost someone who they could look up to to protect them from the ones that were trying to kill them. It might be good for us to place boundaries, to place boundaries in our conversations, in our interactions. If someone has pushed the line with you, put up a boundary. Tell them, nope, I'm sorry, I can't go down that road. It's okay to put boundaries. It's okay to tell someone no. It's okay to say, I can't have this conversation and walk the other way. If you're in a moment where you're feeling that tap on your shoulder in a conversation, it might be God telling you. It might be the Spirit offering a way out. You know, there's a phrase that people like to say that God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Our job is to trust him, to follow him. He will give us more than we can handle, but he won't leave us without a way out. He won't leave us without a way out. If you feel that tug, if you sense that spirit speaking to you, listen to it. Don't walk away from it. Samson walked away from that spirit speaking to him. Samson walked away from the vow that he had, he had consecrated himself with and given to God and said, I won't cut my hair. Samson walked away from it. Putting healthy boundaries in place is okay. Here's the truth of it. You can't change manipulating people. Only God can do that. Trust that God has already thought of the person that might be trying to manipulate you. doesn't mean you don't love them, but it means you keep them at arm's length. It means you don't bring them close. I'm going to say this again. Only God can change the heart of a manipulative person. Hear this. Only God can change the heart of a manipulative person. It does not matter how many times they tell you, I'll change, I'll change, I'll change. Only God can change the heart of a manipulative person. Pray for them. God says in, Jesus says in Matthew to pray for your enemies and those that persecute you. We cannot change a, a, a manipulative person on our own. Only God can change a manipulative person. This doesn't mean we don't share with them. This doesn't mean that we don't have community with them in some level. It means we pray for them. But as I said, it means we keep them at arm's length. Family members might try and get you to bend the rules. They might always, they, they're always trying to make you look like you're just within the bounds of what's right, not on the other side of the fence. Remember the sermon series on guardrails a few weeks ago? Those guardrails, those boundaries are good. They're okay. 
Sometimes temptation kicks in when a manipulative person is trying to control the conversation and our ego likes to get in the way. We like to just sit there and fight and struggle. We need to give it to him. We need to give it to Christ for him to be able to actually handle it because we cannot change. I'm going to say it again. We cannot change the heart of a manipulative person. Only God can. Sometimes it's important to remember that individuals that are trying to manipulate a situation are doing this and behaving this way because of trauma they've experienced before. So we offer grace. We offer love. We pray for them. But we put healthy boundaries in place. Their behavior has put limitations on your relationship ability or potential with them. I'm going to say that again. It's on the screen. Their behavior has put limitations on your relationship ability or potential with them. It's okay to put boundaries in place. You know how in Scripture, if God repeats something, it's important? It's okay to put boundaries in place. Samson should have put boundaries on his life. But consistently throughout Scripture, throughout his story and his life that we read in Judges, he was off with other women. He was off doing things and gallivanting and digging his hands into, into dead bodies and, and sleeping with people he shouldn't be sleeping with and drinking wine and things that he said that he wouldn't do in his vow to God. He wouldn't have ended up in the situation that he did. He would have been able to keep the Philistines at bay, but he pushed Israel into more servitude. Our actions may have consequences for others. Boundaries are there for more than just ourselves. They're there for family. They're there for our jobs, our businesses. They're there for our communities. Boundaries are in place ultimately for our witness. Our witness and our protection here on earth. Our witness of who Christ is. Here's the last thing. You'll run the risk of missing what God has for you if you allow people to manipulate you. In his book, From the Shadows, former CIA director Robert Gates relates a near catastrophe that took place during the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Carter's national security advisor was awakened one morning and informed that the Soviet Union had launched an all-out nuclear attack. One minute before he was to call the president, word arrived that the first information had been an error. Someone had accidentally inserted a military exercise into the missile defense computer system. Thankfully, the National Security Advisor's wake-up call was a false alarm. He remained calm. He remained in control of the situation in which he might have fallen prey to manipulation, fear, panic, anything else that can set in when we don't have Christ on our mind. He knew that if we fail to control our passions, our passions control us. That's what happened to Samson. Unable to control himself, in the end, he fell victim to an enemy attack. We must set up emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual boundaries with people. We've got to do it with situations. We've got to do it with work. We've got to do it with that is taking away from our reliance on God. The coming weeks and months present us with opportunities where we may reach out and love people like Jesus. May present us with opportunities to love and share Christ with our actions. But we have to hold fast to our boundaries.
Let's pray. God, thank you for the examples that you have laid out in Scripture. God, thank you for presenting and preserving the word that you've given us in front to be able to understand how to live this life, to be able to make it through the various situations that rise with needy people, manipulative and controlling people, with critical people, with hypocritical people. God, as we come into this season of holiday and celebration and and fun, help us to have boundaries. Help us to be anchored in the truth that you are always there. Help us to be anchored in the fact that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Help us to be anchored in the fact that we can present this peace and this truth to the people that might try and manipulate us. Help us to put boundaries with your guidance, with your spirit. Help us to be able to follow through with the things that you have before us. God, we are looking to you in this moment. God, we are grateful for this moment to be able to place boundaries, to be able to stand in front of you on that day to be able to say, to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, help us as we come into this season to sing, it is well. Even though the waves and the wind still know our name, they know his stronger. So help us to stand in the truth in the fact that you are our anchor that you are the one that it doesn't matter what kind of manipulation comes, that you see it, that you are right there with us and that we can trust in you.